0: We turn this morning to the second book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter nine. Second Chronicles nine beginning at verse one. Let's listen to the word of God. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Having a very great retinue, and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it, and behold, Half the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your wives. Happy are these your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, he has made you king over them that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. There were no spices such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir brought algum wood and precious stones and the king made from the algam wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, lyres also and harps for the singers. There never was seen the like of them before in the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold besides that which the explorers and merchants brought. And all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold 600 shekels of beaten gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold which were attached to the throne And on each side of the seat were armrests, and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. Nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon, for the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and of gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all lands. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon from first to last, are they not written in the history of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite and in the visions of Iddo the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. We're going to focus this morning on 2 Chronicles 9 verses 17 through 19. I'll read those verses with you again. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold, which were attached to the throne, and on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. Nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, One of the big events in the news recently was the coronation of a new king, King Charles III. Most of us had never witnessed such an event before since Queen Elizabeth II had such a long reign. Thanks to the internet and television, we could watch all the pomp and circumstance, all the ceremony and tradition that goes into crowning a new monarch. And yet this event also seemed so distant, so removed from our daily lives in a different country, almost a different culture, a different world. And we wonder what relevance does a coronation have for us? King Charles is an earthly king, but we also have a king in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, seated on the throne at God's right hand. So maybe it's a good time to think about our heavenly king. What relevance does his coronation have for our daily lives? Is it a comfort for us that Christ is on the throne? Or does his throne also seem to be a world away, far removed from our lives here? This morning we're going to focus together on the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, using a Bible text from the Old Testament about the throne that King Solomon built. You see, Solomon's throne can teach us a lot about Jesus' throne. Solomon reigned as the first son of David, and Jesus reigns as the final son of David. Solomon's throne was the symbol and the centerpiece of his kingdom, and so it foreshadows the throne and the kingdom of his great descendant and heir, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever. So this morning I summarized the gospel of our text as follows the great son of David, builds a throne for the kingdom of God. And we will see that it is a throne of dominion and a throne of justice. What did you think, brothers and sisters, when we read the description of Solomon's throne? A great ivory throne overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps. And a footstool of gold attached to the throne. On each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood on the six steps. Did you think, wow, what a king? Or did you think, that's a bit extravagant, Solomon? Now you're just showing off. Indeed, what should we think about Solomon building a throne like this for himself? We live in a society that does not look very favorably on politicians who spend a lot of money on themselves. Was Solomon glorifying himself at the public expense? Was this throne a sign of his wisdom? Or was it a sign that all of his glory was going to his head? It's not so easy to decide. The text itself does not say one way or the other. And we do know that later on in his reign, Solomon was not fully devoted to the Lord anymore. And yet I think if we look closely at the text, we pick up little clues that the Bible wants us to think positively about this throne. The first clue is how our text ends. It says that nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. There's a tone of admiration in those words. The second clue is that this is actually the second time that the Bible describes this throne. The first time is in the book of Kings, 1 Kings 10. So clearly, the Holy Spirit wants us to know what this throne looked like. The third clue is that while the book of Kings is somewhat critical of King Solomon, it mentions the foreign wives who led him into idolatry, it mentions the enemies that God raised up against him at the end of his reign, Chronicles leaves those negative things out. But it keeps the description of his throne. That's another clue that we should think positively about this throne. And the fourth clue is to be found in some of the construction details of, of this throne. And as we go through some of those details, we're going to see that this throne pictures the fulfillment of all God's promises in the Old Testament. Promises to David and to Israel and to the patriarchs. Yes, even to Adam in the beginning. So let's have a look at the details. Notice, first of all, that the throne had six steps leading up to it, which means that the throne itself is on level seven. The number seven in scripture has to do with the fullness of God. So it seems that in some sense, Solomon is building a throne that represents the rule of God And that he will then sit on that throne as the son of God. And here you might think of the covenant that God had made with David. You can read about it in 1 Chronicles 17. In 1 Chronicles 17, David had offered to build a house for the Lord. But the Lord responded that he would build a house for David. Listen to what God says to David in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 11. When your days are fulfilled, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In other words, the throne of the son of David is the throne of the son of God. You might have noticed also what the queen of Sheba said to Solomon in verse eight of our chapter. She said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. And you can think also of that familiar prophecy about the birth of Christ in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Again, the Son of God sits on the throne of David. That's where the Lord Jesus sits now. On the throne of David and to understand this a little bit better I'd like you to think also about where Solomon's throne was located you might recall that Solomon built the temple first and in chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles we read that Solomon placed the ark in the temple that ark represented God's throne where he dwelled between the cherubim. Next, Solomon built his palace. And scripture specifies that Solomon built his palace on the south side of the temple. Now, I'd like you to think about that. Since the temple have been on the right side of the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, Solomon was sitting at God's right hand. And here we think of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a stool for your feet. A verse that's quoted so often in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus. Solomon's throne already pictured the reality of that verse. Now, of course, Solomon's throne was not right beside the ark. Solomon was not allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. But surely the location is no accident. Notice another detail in verse 17 of our text. We read that the king made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. Where else do you read those words? You might think of the construction of the ark, when it was first made back in the book of Exodus. Exodus 37 verse two. There we read that Bezalel made an ark of acacia wood and he overlaid it with pure gold. Same words. Solomon knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, the connection between the throne of David and the temple goes right back to the promises to David in 1 Chronicles 17. There the Lord said to David, Your son will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Notice that the temple and the throne belong together. Your son will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever together. The temple and the throne belong together in the covenant that God made with David. Now, very interesting little detail in scripture. In Second Chronicles 8, we read that Solomon built a separate palace for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had married. Why? Well, David said, or Solomon rather said, my wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel. Because the places the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. Very interesting. The temple and Solomon's palace are so closely connected that the palace, too, is a sacred place where Pharaoh's daughter is therefore not allowed to live. Now, all of this helps us to understand the reign of the Lord Jesus better. Today, the connection between the temple of the Lord and the throne of David is even closer than it was in the Old Testament. Unlike Solomon, the Lord Jesus is allowed to enter into the very presence of God, and he sits right next to his father in the heavenly temple, closer than Solomon ever could. Let's move on to another bit of symbolism in Solomon's throne we read that there are two lions on each of the six steps. Twelve lions, in other words, and you might think of the 12 tribes of Israel. But it's not just 12 lions. There were two more at the armrests for a total of 14 lions. What's the significance of the number 14? Well, here you might think of Matthew chapter 1, which gives the genealogy of our savior from Abraham through the line of David to the birth of Jesus Christ and at the end of that genealogy in Matthew 1 Matthew says so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from the deportation from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ 14 generations. Why 14? Well, it's because the name David in Hebrew is written with three consonants, D, V, D, and in Hebrew, D is the fourth letter of the alphabet, V is the sixth letter, and then D is the fourth letter again, four plus six plus four, you do the math. So 14 is code for David. With these 14 lions, Solomon makes the point that his throne is the throne of David. And with the 14 generations in Matthew 1, Matthew makes the point that Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne. So this throne symbolizes the fulfillment of God's promises to David. It also symbolizes the fulfillment of God's promises to the patriarchs. You see, the choice of lions is no accident. David was of the tribe of Judah. And then think back to the way that old father Jacob blessed his 12 sons at the end of the book of Genesis in Genesis 49. To Judah, father Jacob said, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Shall be the obedience of the peoples. That old prophecy of Jacob in Genesis 49 is fulfilled in the days of Solomon, when the nations brought their tribute to him. We read that in verse 23. And then verse 26 adds that Solomon ruled over all the kings from the river Euphrates to the land of the Philistines from east to west and as far south as the border of Egypt. In other words, under Solomon's rule, Israel gained full control of the full extent of the land that had been promised to Abraham centuries before. It had taken many, many years for the Israelites to gain control of the full extent of the boundaries that God had promised. But now in Solomon's time, it had happened. But Solomon's dominion was even greater than that. We read that kings of other nations acknowledged Solomon's rule. And they brought tribute to him. So Solomon's throne did not merely represent dominion over the promised land, but dominion over the earth. And here I want to pay attention with you to another little construction detail of Solomon's throne. Verse 18 says that a footstool of gold was attached to it. Now the other description of the throne in the Bible in 1 Kings 10 doesn't mention that detail. Instead there it says that at the back of the throne there was a calf's head, which our text doesn't mention. So why does Chronicles mention the footstool of gold instead? It's kind of hard to say for sure, but the word that's used for footstool is not the regular word for footstool in the Hebrew language. The word that's used here in our text is only found once in the Hebrew Bible but it's related to a verb that means to subdue you'll have to take my word for that and and this related verb to subdue is the word that's found in Genesis 1 verse 28 where God said to Adam and Eve fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So Solomon's footstool symbolizes that the land has been subdued. I think here of 1 Chronicles 22, verse 18. When David was still alive and preparing for the transition to Solomon, David told the leaders of Israel that they should help and support Solomon. And he said to those leaders this, The Lord has handed the inhabitants of the land over to me, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Or you might look again at 2 Chronicles 9 verse 8, where the Queen of Sheba said to Solomon, the Lord has placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God. So Solomon had dominion over God's creation. After the failure of Adam and Eve who fell into sin and the ground became cursed because of them, God now grants a time of blessing and restoration under the throne of Solomon a preview of the full blessing and restoration that will come when Christ returns in his glory. And brothers and sisters, if you want confirmation that Solomon fulfilled the creation mandate to rule over the animals, just think of the lions sitting on his steps, the king of the beasts sitting quietly under the hands of the king of Israel, Or think of the voyages that Solomon's ships took every three years and how they brought back apes and peacocks and other exotic creatures from distant lands. Think of his 12,000 horses. Or think of what we read in 1 Kings 4 about Solomon's dinner menu. The food that appeared on his table every day. One King's four verse 23 says he had 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and a hundred sheep and goats as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks and choice fowl, every day on his dinner table. And a little further on, One Kings four verse 33 talks about Solomon's wisdom as a biologist. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Think also of Solomon's control over nature, acquiring gold, collecting ivory. So the throne that Solomon built symbolizes a fulfillment of all God's Old Testament promises. Promises to David, to the tribe of Judah, to the nation of Israel, to the patriarchs, yes, to all of mankind. Now if that's all it means, then it isn't a lot of good to us because Solomon died and his beautiful throne disappeared. So why is our text in the Bible Why does Chronicles tell us so much detail about Solomon's throne? It's because the book of Chronicles comes at the end of the Old Testament. We might not notice that, but in the Hebrew Old Testament, the order of the books is a little bit different than in our English Bibles. second Chronicles is at the very end. It's the last book. The books of Chronicles were written after the exile, long after the last king in David's line had gone into captivity. A remnant of people eventually returned from Babylon to Jerusalem, and they even rebuilt the temple. But the Ark of God was gone, and the throne of David was gone too. The remnant that returned no longer had a king in the line of David to sit at God's right hand. And it was for this remnant that the book of Chronicles was written, to remind them of their beautiful past, to remind them that God keeps his promises, to remind them that they needed a king at God's right hand. The book of Chronicles told them about Solomon, A king who stayed in his glory for his entire reign to the day of his death. And yet this king was not enough. The rise of Israel to its greatest exaltation under Solomon led only to its decline to greatest humiliation and the loss of the kingship. Psalm 89 laments the loss of the throne of David. First part of Psalm 89 is a song of praise. Second part of the psalm, Psalm 89, is a lament. It says, Lord, if you made all these promises to David, then what happened? Where is your steadfast love of old, which you swore to David? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of the grave? And the only answer for Israel and for the world is that another son of David must come who can turn things around. That son was the hope of God's people at the end of the Old Testament. And he's revealed in the New Testament. Unlike Solomon, he did not stay in his glory. But he left his glory behind and he entered into the deep humiliation of his people. He made himself nothing, says Philippians 2, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. On David's throne today sits someone who is the son of David, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the heir of all God's promises, the Son of Man and the Son of God. Everything that the throne of Solomon symbolized and foreshadowed is found in Christ. As he said to his disciples in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The mission of the church today and always is to promote the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ throughout the world. Because someone greater than Solomon is here. And everyone needs to know that he's going to return as the great judge of all mankind. And that brings me briefly to our second point, the throne of the Son of David is a throne of justice. When we think of thrones, brothers and sisters, we think of them as places where kings reign, where they have dominion, where they receive tribute, where they give orders. But in the Old Testament, kings were also judges. Their thrones were places of supplication where people in need could come and ask the king to hear their case and judge in their favor. We sang from Psalm 72, and I'd like you to turn with me there for a moment in your Bibles as well. Psalm 72. Notice from the heading that it is a Psalm of Solomon. And what this psalm talks about is the king's task as judge. Verses one through four is what I'd like to read with you. And by the way, some of these words are inscribed on the peace tower of our parliament buildings in Ottawa. Uh, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor." This was Solomon's vision for his throne. It was to be a place where the poor and needy could come for protection from their oppressors. Did it happen? Did Solomon's throne become that place? In all likelihood, it did, at least for a time. Think back to how Solomon's reign began, how the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him to ask for whatever he wanted. Solomon said, Give your servant an understanding mind to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. And that's the kind of wisdom that God gave to him to be able to judge right from wrong. And remember then how the two prostitutes came to him with two babies, one alive and and the other dead. And both women argued that the living baby was theirs. Solomon was the judge, it was his job to decide. And famously he asked for a sword and he commanded that the living baby be cut in two and half be given to each woman. And then when the one woman cried out that she would rather give her baby to the other woman than see it die, Solomon knew that's got to be the mum. So yes, people came to his throne for justice. Solomon must have been an approachable king. Did he stay that way? Well here I begin to wonder, can you imagine being a poor person and appearing in front of a six-stepped throne with lions on every step? That would be intimidating. I can imagine that a poor person would say Solomon is so busy with foreign kings and, and international trade and building projects What time could he possibly have for little old me? It's it's hard to say whether Solomon was an approachable person. But let me ask you this. How well do we really get to know the man on the ivory throne? David, yes. We get to know David well in Scripture. David walked among the people. They saw him fight. They heard him cry. They heard him sing. But Solomon, what kind of personality did he have? What kind of human being was he? We don't really get to know him, do we? A king in glory, yes. Wise, yes. But so wise that no one would feel bold enough to give him advice. And I find it interesting, brothers and sisters, to read the next chapter, 2 Chronicles 10, about the beginning of Rehoboam's reign. Remember how the people came to Rehoboam to ask him to lighten the load that Solomon had placed on them. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? All those people standing there with Jeroboam in 2 Chronicles 10 saying to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten his heavy yoke and we will serve you. And when Rehoboam gave them a foolish answer, and he said, My father disciplined you with whips. Did you hear that? That's what Solomon did. But I will discipline you with scorpions. Well, the people knew that they would have no justice, no compassion from this man. And they said, To your tents, O Israel, what portion do we have in David? See to your own house, David. That gives a different picture of Solomon, doesn't it? You get the impression that he had lost touch with the complaints and the difficulties of the average Israelite because he did not walk in their shoes. He was the great king. They were his little workers. How different is our Savior Jesus Christ We certainly come to know him on the pages of scripture. As he walked around the countryside, meeting people of all sorts of backgrounds, and he taught the people. He healed their illnesses. He had compassion on them. He lightened their yokes. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And to those who rejected his teaching, the Lord Jesus spoke about the coming judgment. And he said, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now someone greater than Solomon is here. Indeed, brothers and sisters, when we think of Christ as judge, We tend to think of the final judgment when Christ will return as judge to condemn the wicked who rejected him. But let's not forget what the purpose of a throne was in the Old Testament. It was not simply a place of rule, but it was a place of supplication. Let's not forget that the Lord Jesus is a judge now already. And that his throne is always available to us as a place of supplication. And Christ is a most sympathetic judge. At the right hand of God today, there sits a man who has experienced suffering and temptation, who knows what our struggles are like, who's not aloof from our difficulties a king who is also a priest and who intercedes for us before his father's throne, who listens every day to the prayers of his church and who sends his Holy Spirit to comfort and to lead us, encouraging us to follow him on the path of suffering and promising us that we will one day reign with him in glory and reassuring us that he will return as king and judge to vindicate his people. And so, brothers and and sisters, the description of Solomon's throne in our text should give us great encouragement. Also in our time of need today, also when we experience sadness and anxiety, when we feel frustrated and helpless, when we need strength for our daily task. The throne of the Lord Jesus Christ is always available to us when we pray. And one day we will see it with our own eyes in the new Jerusalem. We read about that in Revelation 22. These words, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Yes, brothers and sisters, we will reign with Christ. Amen.